However, Sukadev Goswami presented a higher conception. And that higher conception is there is spiritual variegatedness which is free of karma. So there's still labor, but as pointed out by the author, it's a labor of love. And that labor is not draining. It's not taking away. It's sustaining. It's not taking away from us. All of our labor here depletes us, doesn't it? At the end of the workday, what do you want to do? You want to relax. You want to turn it off. You want to get away. That's labor in the material world, in the material plane. The Buddhists and Sankarya, they said, well, let's just not engage in labor. Let's just turn off karma. That's good. Hey, yeah, it's a good concept. But Sukadev came along and gave the higher conception. He spoke Srimad Bhagavatam. And Srimad Bhagavatam educates us in activities on the spiritual plane which vitalize us. There's still activity. There's still what you would consider labor doing something. Like a hobby? Not like a hobby. Not like something that you do just as a as a as, as a pa- passing fa- fancy it's a labor it's an it's a a plane of existence where everything is done in spiritual emotion in a loving emotion so we certainly don't look upon our loving relationships even in this world as a hobby if you look at them as a hobby there's every chance that you that relationship won't last for a very long time because we'll get tired of one hobby and move down the road to the next. When we look to the, to, the, to the plane of love, then we look to a deeper commitment, something that has a, a deeper meaning and also has a higher exchange. There's a higher reciprocation on the spiritual plane. This point is so important to understand that there is activity on the spiritual plane and it's completely satisfying to the self, but it's free of all material inebrities. What are the inebrities? Simple, birth, death, old age, and disease. Everything on this plane goes through these stages. So if we can understand that there is still activity, of course there will always be those transcendentalists, that class of spiritualists that look to simply turn off everything that they're experiencing in this world without a higher conception. However, that will never fully satisfy us. And even attaining Brahman realization where we merge into the spiritual energy which as explained in the Isopanishad is simply the, the transcendental rays of the Lord's body his 
the energy flowing from him, which sustains everything, generally because it is without activity, without labor, without that labor of love, we become frustrated. How long can you sit and do nothing? Even if the nothing is free of all the fatigues of the end of the day, free of all the bodily pains and pleasures, how long are you going to, after a while, are you going to get a little bored? Is there anybody else out there? Hello? I'm here by myself, not suffering. (laughs) You're not speaking of a a devotional version of that, right? This is not including devotion. No, there's no devotion. There's no devotion. The Buddhists don't have that conception. What is their conception? Nirvana. Nirvana. Turn it off. There's nothing. I am I am it. What is that? Just it. So you have your Zen Buddhists, you know, they have all these nice aphorisms, but what do they end in? Nothingness. Nothingness means I turn off the karma. It's a good beginning point, but how long are we going to be content there? We are part and parcel of the supreme personality of Godhead. We have personality. We're not free of that aspect of our spiritual being. Sat-cheat ananda. Simply sat and cheat, simply existence, simply knowledge that I'm not matter, that's just two-thirds of the equation. Where's the ananda in that? I just turn it off and then I'm like, ah, free from pain. No more no, there's no exhaustion here. The Buddhists have the conception of nothingness. And the, the Vedantists, the, the followers of Sankar, Charya, they have the conception of spiritual energy. Like a spiritual... Spirit is all around, I guess is what you could say. Spirit is all around in their conception. And the Buddhists are... Well, if it doesn't do anything, then what's... So Bhaktivedanta Swami, in coming to the Western world, it specifically pointed out that Nirvasesa Sunyavadi, that he came to dissipate these misconceptions. And this is the biggest misconception. Fear of spiritual variegatedness. There's a fearfulness. Because why? Because if there's variegatedness, then there's every opportunity that there's going to be exploitation. Because that's all we're used to on the material plane. Any questions? Should we go on to Bhagavad Gita? So we've been studying 434 and all of its various aspects because it's such a significant verse. Tadvidi pranipate na pari prashne nasevaya upadekshanti te gyanam janinas tatvadarsina. Just try to acquire wisdom through humble resignation, relevant inquiry, and in rendering service to the wise 
who have realized the truth. They in turn will impart wisdom unto you. So this transmission of spiritual knowledge is really the whole intent of Bhagavad Gita. Arjuna was bewildered. He didn't know how to act. And he turned to his friend Krishna. They had a friendly relationship, but he was so bewildered on the battlefield, he asked his dear friend Krishna, can we set aside our friendship? And can you please give me enlightenment? Because I don't know what to do. So, we're coming to this point of understanding transcendental knowledge and how the living entity receives this knowledge. And this fourth chapter begins with that explanation. And in the beginning of the chapter, Krishna said, what? That this system of knowledge, I established myself. And initially I, I imparted this knowledge to the sun god. And the sun god passed it down to his sons and disciples. And it was passed down to Manu and Manu to Isvaku. So the concept of disciplic succession was given to Arjuna at the beginning of the chapter. And then Krishna went on to explain people that are striving to make advancement in life, they generally work in sacrifice. And he laid out all these different types of sacrifice, didn't he? Some of them do this for enlightenment and some of them do that. Some of them control the breath. Some of them make offerings into the fire. Some of them study the books of wisdom, the Vedas. All these different pursuers of spiritual wisdom take so many different paths. After pointing out all these different sacrifices that mankind performs in partial or even full knowledge to attain relief from the exhaustion of fruitive labor, right? So we don't have to be exhausted at the end of the day, so that we don't have to be completely spent at the end of our life in such a way that we're forced to again come back and take birth under circumstances we don't have control of. I don't know about you, but I didn't get a choice. I just came here. My mother and my father, there was some union there. Here I am, United States of America, born 1950. I didn't have a choice. Did any of you make plans? I'm going to be born in this country. I'm going to have this body. I'm sure a lot of us would have changed the plans a little bit, huh? Oh, let me let me let me be rich. <laughs> let me be beautiful. Let me be a movie star. Let me be a rock star. 
Isn't that our faith? We all have our faith, yes. But it seems that fate plays with us. We, <laughs> we seldom play with fate. Now, that doesn't mean within this material world you can't get to a position where you can control fate. There are many great mystics and yogis. You're not going to see many of them in this age of mankind. Life is so short. We can hardly even get a degree and maintain a job. What to speak of mastering our senses and, and attaining the mystic cities where we can become lighter than the lightest, where we can control what other people think. But we see remnants of that from time to time in society, don't we? We see great magicians that do things that we can't even understand. Uh, we see uh, uh, leaders. Well, not leaders. Some of them are leaders. Some of them are just... But they control people's minds. Here, drink this Kool-Aid. Yeah, we have those people. They work in teams in a particular area of New York. Fifth Avenue or something. I forget what the... But, yes... They control people's minds. Sometimes they control them for better. Sometimes they control them for worse. Sometimes they simply want to exploit. And there's the one-eyed guru. The what? The one-eyed. Well, he controls everybody mostly in this age, doesn't he? But now his eyes are everywhere. Now people carry that eye around with them. They're looking at it all the time. They can't be without it. Either it's their iPod or their, you know, their iPad like I have right here, I carry around with me. Their telephones. Yes? I have an iPhone in my pocket. Yes. So, whenever you want, if you want to watch something, you just pull it out and turn it on. There you have a game, a movie, music. Portable TVs, and people can't live for. And right now, it's unfortunate that, I mean, books. People hardly read books anymore. What to speak of their attention span? The next generation after this, and the next generation, unless there's complete sensual bombardment and involvement at every minute, these people will never be happy in life. They're gonna have a hard time. Didn't people say the same thing when the radio came out too? I'm sure they did. And the TV. Except, except that, that now the ethos is if it's not addictive, it's not worthwhile. Mm. Everything is defined by, ooh, how addictive that is. All the electronic entertainment, the TV series, everything you hear. If they don't say it's got you hooked, then it's not worth doing. So Krishna is talking here about getting us hooked on something else. Something that is just as addictive, mm -hmm. but it's a good addiction. And the addiction we need is Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. If we could just become addicted to this sound, then our life is perfect. It's simple. That's simple. Can I share something that happened to me today? That, that At the end of class. Okay. Okay. 
So how do we get to this plane of spiritual addiction? So many sacrifices Krishna's talked about, and so many people are trying so many things. And then he comes to this verse. First, leading into it, O subduer of the enemy, of the various sacrifices, that of wisdom is far superior to the sacrifice of material possessions. For whatever may be accomplished by action is realized in wisdom. Then acquiring wisdom by association with someone who's wise. And working with him, how? With submission, with relevant spiritual inquiry, and with seva, with some worship. So we're going to go on. You'll notice at the end of that text 34, at the end of the purport, Triparari Swami mentions that over the next four verses, starting with 35, Krishna describes the nature of the knowledge one receives from Sri Guru. So I wanted to review these verses and kind of tie into last week's lecture that Jayadwaita Swami gave so that we can go on. We've talked about the Guru, we've talked about the disciple, we've talked about the transmission of knowledge. And this lays out that exact transference of spiritual knowledge. And this isn't like our knowledge on the material plane. It has a special characteristic. Having acquired this knowledge, you should not be deluded again. O son of Pandu, for by that knowledge you shall see all living beings in terms of their common spiritual existence as one with you and abiding in me. Even if you are the worst of sinful persons, you can cross over all sins by the boat of transcendental knowledge. As a blazing fire burns wood to ashes, Arjuna, so does the fire of transcendental knowledge reduce all karmic reactions to ashes. There is nothing here that is as, that is as purifying as transcendental knowledge. One who is perfect in yoga realizes this wisdom within himself in due course. So this wisdom, what's the result? The result is spiritual vision. Spiritual vision, beginning with what? We see ourselves as common with all other living entities. We are of the same spiritual substance, even though the outward dress may be different. This is knowledge which has a profound influence on our existence. It has a profound influence on the way we relate with the world. It's interesting, Chanaka Pandit, great Pandit, knowledgeable person, uh, he explained what is actual knowledge. What's the actual activities of someone who is truly in knowledge? How does he see the world? And he said there's three main characteristics. And if you see these characteristics in an individual, you can know that they're knowledgeable. First characteristic is he sees all women, or as the case may be, men, as mother or father. 
What does that mean? Accepting his wife, there is not a sense of exploitation. Accepting the husband, there's not a sense of exploitation. He sees another person's possessions as garbage in the street. He has no interest except what comes to him by providence. That's his lot in life. And he's content with that. And he feels for every other living entity as he feels for himself. Now, someone can have so many PhDs, degrees, letters after their names, but true knowledge is based on the character of a man, not in how much he can repeat that he's learned from a book or learned from another individual. True knowledge has to have an effect on us that is lasting. And that's what Krishna says in this 35th verse, isn't it? Having acquired this knowledge, you should not be deluded again. What's that mean? It's lasting. And elsewhere in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says that this knowledge, however much we attain spiritual wisdom, that's never lost to us. If we take to a to the practice of spiritual upliftment, self-realization, whatever advancement we make on that road, that is a permanent asset. It's never taken away. That doesn't mean that while we're treading the path of spiritual enlightenment, we may not slip and fall along the way. Many, we see in this world, many people take to spiritual life. Many people take, there's many people that take to renunciation. Many people try to be a nun or a priest. Many people try to be a devotee of Krishna. But material nature is there. Until we've acquired a taste for spiritual enjoyment. And we're not going to taste spiritual enjoyment until we give up material enjoyment. We may, it may flicker around the edges of our spiritual practice. But as long as our heart is still polluted with so much material desire, as long as those desires are there, the flood of spiritual Emotion is going to have a hard time getting into our existence. So that's why we chant every week, what? Cheto Darpanam Arjanam. Glory to Sri Krishna Sankirtan, which cleanses the heart of all those samskaras, those impressions that have led us to believe that our enjoyment is through exploitation. And in the beginning, we have to go forward in spiritual life based on what? Faith. Faith. And faith begins where? When we find a good teacher, someone that gives us transcendental knowledge. And he gives us knowledge as Krishna is giving Arjuna knowledge in Bhagavad Gita. He gives us knowledge and a prescription for purifying our activities. We 
can't go on with activities which bind us up in karma. We have to start acting and living on the spiritual plane and then the karma will dissipate. That begins with knowledge. And these four verses speak to the nature of transcendental knowledge. First thing is, whatever we acquire in transcendental knowledge is not going to be lost to us. Ever. As far as we advance in our spiritual understanding of what is our true self, what is the Supreme Lord, and what is the inner relationship between the two, that's not going to be lost. And you see so many examples of that, especially when you come into the society of this high level of spiritual pursuit. We see people coming into this Krishna consciousness and immediately the basics of Bhagavad Gita, they just ring true. This is right. This is right. This rings true to my heart. I can't find any fault There's no fault in this spiritual logic. This logic makes complete sense to me. I tell people that a lot. They say, well, what, what attracted you to Krishna consciousness? I came to Krishna consciousness when I was in college, young. Maybe just as I was entering college, I started reading Bhagavad Gita. And I answer the question simply, I am not able to put forth a question to someone who's knowledgeable, who's in the position of guru. I'm not able to put forward a question that they're not able to perfectly answer to my full satisfaction. They may say things I can't yet comprehend, but they certainly have always pacified my intellect. Of course, our intellect is dirty just like everything else gets polluted in this world so we may not even know the right questions sometimes the guru will give us answers and we don't even know what the question was i remember when i started to hear bhaktivedanta swami who was my guru he said i didn't even understand some of the things he was saying plus all the verses verse after verse so this knowledge is not lost it continues and the first characteristic is we start to see our spiritual nature, and not only our spiritual nature, but what? All living beings in terms of their common spiritual essence, as one with you and abiding in me. Even if you are the worst of sinful persons, you can cross over all sins by the boat of transcendental knowledge. There's an interesting discourse by some of my contemporaries. I'm in a computer form. Sometimes we can't sit in a room and discuss like this. We sit on our computers and talk back and forth. Some of your your spiritual masters on there. Uh, Swami Tripurari is also on this form. Of late, there's been a lot of discussion about, well, how far does, does the mercy of this Krishna consciousness extend? Is it open for everybody? Is it open for people that have a a sexual orientation which isn't according to the norm? Is it open for the murderers, the thieves, 
Is it open for the, to the drug addicts? Do we have to draw the line somewhere? Do we see any line drawing here? Is Krishna drawing a line? Worst of sinful persons. What's worst? Is there worst? Worster? Worstest? The most worst? Super worst? Does, is Krishna drawing a line? No. I don't know what the exact Sanskrit term is. Papakritamaha. Papa is sinful activity. Tamaha. Mode of ignorance. Completely covered over. So covered over that the sinful activities are there. Complete mode of ignorance. Thomas. Satya. Raja. Satyagun. Tamagun. So goodness, passion, and ignorance. So someone that's completely covered by ignorance is what Krishna is talking about here. Even if you are the worst of sinful persons, you can cross over all sins by the boat of transcendental knowledge. There's nothing in this verse that speaks to a limitation due to material circumstance. That requires a great deal of compassion on the part of the guru, doesn't it? He has to be willing to take the most fallen and give them transcendental knowledge. There's a little qualification there. When we get transcendental knowledge, it should have an effect on our life. We should give up those sinful activities. But as far as the people that can come and take advantage of guru, no one is barred. But once we take advantage of that transcendental knowledge, then the guru, what is the, what is the practice? Atashrada tata sadhu sangotha bhajana kriya. Begins with what? Shrada. Atashrada. Shrada. Faith. Atashrada tata sadhu. Next stage, you have a little faith. You hear from somebody that has wisdom. We hear. And when we hear, Tashrada, Tata, Sadhu, Sangha, Sangha. We're sitting in Sangha. We're hearing from Bhagavad Gita. Sadhu, Sangha. What's a better guru than Krishna? He's the supreme guru. Our guru, he's representative. He's an external manifestation of that supreme personality. He's been invested with specific spiritual potency to assist us. Few of us are on a spiritual plane where we ha can have directly communion with the Lord in the heart. We're pretty covered over by material circumstance and karma and seeds of sinful life. So therefore, Krishna sends a bona fide spiritual master. Someone that we can relate to. Someone who can relate to us. But the next stage, Sadhu Sangha. After the Sadhu Sangha, Bhajana Kriya. What is Bhajana Kriya? Kriya, Bhajan. It's a course of activities 
that cleanse us from those sinful activities which bind us. It's a cleansing agent, doing the right thing, not the wrong thing. Sometimes giving up the wrong thing is very difficult. It's not that we can come to spiritual life sometimes and just turn off all those wrong things. They're habits. They're some scars. They're burnt into our existence. So the guru doesn't generally say, give up everything, walk away from the battlefield, throw down your bow and arrows and go off to the woods. Be nice. Arjuna wanted that. What did Krishna say? (laughs) It's not going to work for you. (laughs) I can see your nature. Guru can see our nature. He engages us according to our propensities. Some people have some renunciation already there. Most of us, we have a lot of enjoyment there. Guru, according to time, place, and circumstance, he gives direction. What? Bhajana Kriya. Some activity where we can purify our existence. And then the knowledge has a permanent effect. Then the knowledge results in practical changes. All of a sudden I see all women except my wife as mother. I see all others' possessions as garbage in the street. I see the suffering that I go through. I am compassionate and see everybody's in the same predicament. We're all in the same boat here. I have empathy. I have compassion. I start to think of people's spiritual nature. I start to see through the external to the person inside. The petty discriminations of this body and that body, this position in society and that position in society, this nationality and that nationality, this country, that country, this planet, that planet, this species, that species. All those discriminations can be set aside. Some real compassion is there. Why? Bhajana Kriya. Bhajana Kriya leads to what? Anartha Nivritti. What is Anartha Nivritti? Sheto Darpanamarjanam Bhava Mahadavagni Nirvar. Anartha. What's Anarthas? They're those habits we have. Anarthas. We like to eat anything we see. We like to have some relationship with everybody we see. We like to take from whoever we can. We like this. We like that. We like so many things. We like to take some intoxication. We like to eat this, eat any old damn thing. Want to go into every restaurant and taste everything. Want to go to every brothel and taste every one. Huh? I mean, these things are there. Most sinful. Some people are less sinful. Some people can already sit here and curl their noses at these things and others maybe not so easily. Anartha Nivriti. These Anarthas, these unwanted habits, these gradually are dissipated. They go away. So the wisdom is coming. We're engaging in some activity. 
Guru doesn't give a lot of activity. He didn't ask Arjuna to quit, quit being a warrior. No, do your war. Go out here and fight, but fight for me. The guru may say, ah, oh, you're in business? Ah, that's fine. You give me some of, the, some of the fruits of your labor. Some sacrifice can be there. Give some, some dakshin, some little portion to support the preaching I'm doing, to spread Krishna consciousness. So some sacrifice. Give up certain things. Stay with one person. Be monogamous. As much as you can, avoid killing other things just to eat. It's not, it's not good. Avoid intoxication as much as you can. And in the beginning, sometimes these things come easily and sometimes they're difficult. I'll finish with a short little story that I heard in this regard. Just to show you the mercy of Guru. What is this transmission of knowledge? There was once a thief. He was real good at what he did. And he was the be- where he really shined was he was a great pickpocket. So he could go into a crowd of people and, and really fleece them. They would never even know that their, uh, their coin purse had been taken. So he's in a, in a city square once, and it's a huge throng of people there. And there's a, there's a spiritual person, a sadhu. And the sadhu is accepting people and, and blessing them with, with wisdom and uh, blessing them like we would call initiation. Here, come, chant this mantra. This will purify you. Bhajana Kriya, this chanting, will purify you. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare. The pickpocket is so tightly bound with all these throng of people, he can't get out. He had no intention of seeing a guru or getting a blessing or a mantra or, or taking to spiritual life. And generally, when, the, when we go to the, the spiritualist, he'll say, well, do you really want spiritual? And there'll, there'll be some test. Well, can you refrain from this? Can you be monogamous? Can you, can you chant a little bit? Can you give up meat eating? Can you give up intoxication? Can you give up gambling? Somehow or other, this thief ended up at the head of the line, just by the crowd. He's there in front of the guru, and he goes, oh. He says, oh, so you want to take the spiritual life? Oh, uh, not really. Oh, well, you're here in front of me. What? What? He says, well, I don't know. I was just kind of pushed up here. He says, oh. Well, and he, he, he questioned him. He, he did some little testing. Can you do this? Can you do that? And uh, the guy couldn't do anything. He couldn't couldn't give up intoxication. He couldn't give up womanizing. He couldn't give up meat eating because he had to be able to run away from the cops when he was after he'd been a thief. The, the guru says to him, "says Well, can you? What about truthfulness?" Can you refrain from telling a lie? He says, I never had trouble with that. I don't tell lies. Yeah, I can be truthful. So the guru said, fine. I accept you as my disciple. Now you're on a spiritual path. You, you, stay, you stay faithful to this truthfulness. 
It will serve you well and you will make spiritual advancement under my direction by being truthful. Some time passed and the uh, thief got into an awkward situation. Uh, One of his cohorts said, you know, the, the palace is really... It's free pickings. We can get if you can get in there at night, the treasury it's not even locked. You can go in and steal as much as you want. He said, Oh, that sounds pretty good. You should probably try that. Now at the same time the king, who was there in the palace, he was having some political intrigue in his his administration. Some of his ministers were taking advantage, and they were uh, they were actually stealing from the treasury. So the king started to get up late at night and patrol the area personally. He couldn't trust his ministers. He couldn't trust the people that were working under his ministers. The thief meets the king in the middle of the night in darkness and he he basically says, uh, the king says, who are you? He says, well, I'm a thief. The, the thief says, who are you? He says, well, I'm also a thief. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, I heard that uh, we can easily break into the treasury why don't we work in concert and we'll steal everything? So, lo and behold, they both went, the king and the thief, and they plundered the treasury of the state. And they decided they'd work in unison and completely split everything. So there were five huge gemstones. So they decided, well, we can't, if you cut that gemstone in half, it won't be worth anything. Why don't we just leave that one behind? So they each took two gemstones and piles of other coins and gold, and, and they, they went. So the next day, of course, the king, he now lost half of his treasury, <laughs> and he calls his ministers in, and he says, okay, Every thief, I need, we need to find a thief that, that plundered the treasury. Round up every thief and bring them here. And let's question them. We'll interrogate them and we'll find out which one is the actual thief. So they did that. They interrogate the thieves. And of course, they came to the thief that was actually there and worked with the king the evening before. And they... He, they actually asked, he said, they said, were you here last evening? Yes. Did you steal the treasury? I took half of it, worked in concert with another thief. I met it. He was here also. Another thief? Yes. And you took everything out of the treasury, the two of you? Well, we took everything, but there was five big gemstones, and we decided we split everything, so we left one gemstone. So the king's there and he goes to his minister and he says, go check the treasury and see if there's one gemstone left. 
So the minister goes off and he comes back. He says, there's no gemstone left. Well, the king knew there was a gemstone left. And he knew now who was in his very administration a thief. So he immediately made proper arrangements to chastise and uh, punish uh, his minister. And he lost the post, of course. So now there's a post assistant to the king has to be filled. So he says to the, the thief, you're truthful. That's what I need in a minister. At least somebody that will tell me in the truth. Would you like to be my minister? The thief said, sure. So in taking the post of minister, he was paid a nice salary. Didn't have to be a thief anymore. Well, because he was paid a nice salary and he wasn't a thief, he didn't have to run away from the constables. He didn't have to eat abominable foods to maintain his strength. He no longer had to eat meat. And because he was living an honest life now, when he went home at the end of the day, when he was exhausted from his labor, he didn't need to take intoxications to wind down so he could sleep. So he gave up intoxication. Just by being truthful and following the order of his spiritual master to maintain that truthfulness, even when he's interrogated by the king, when he got his hand caught in the cookie jar, so to speak, he maintained his truthfulness, and that instruction being properly followed resulted in the thief being able to maintain all principles of good qualities and all those anarthas naturally fell away. That's the potency of the spiritual master. So there are any questions? Thank you so much. Hare Krishna. Anything else? We're good? So thank you very much. Hare Krishna.